Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 181 with my guest Lauren Hennessy. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. An hour or two of honesty about all the battles at this. I don't know how long the episode's going to be today. I know it's longer than an hour. I know it's shorter than two hours, and I don't really give a shit. I'm going on two hours sleep. I, I My eyes are not even open right now. That's how tired I am. Yeah, this show is we, we talk about the stuff and the thing and go, whatever. I don't care. I really don't care. It's kind of nice when you're so tired that you just don't give a shit. Like right now, I feel like I could... Like I could be at a crosswalk and like give up halfway across it and just lay down on the dotted line knowing I'm not going to get hit. You know, people stay on their side of the road. I'll finish crossing when I when I get the energy. Um, let's get to some, I got an email and we'll do a couple surveys and then we'll, we'll, we'll kick this thing off. Um now I'm uh, the negative voices in my head is going, you haven't told them about the website. You haven't described what the show is. What if somebody's a first-time listener? They're not going to know. All right. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, an hour or two of honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Bing, bang, boom. zippity doo da. Website for the show is mentalpod.com. Go check out the forum, read a blog, donate, stare at the wall. Who gives a fuck? I hope I'm not being annoying, but I, honestly, there's something that feels really good about just being honest when you are exhausted. This is an uh, email that I got from a lovely, lovely supporter of the show. Her name is Amy Buck, and um, she has been emotionally and financially um, supporting the show for a number of years now, and 
She has certainly had her ups and downs, and uh, she sent me an update. And uh, she writes, I've been meaning to write you... uh, uh, a very long update letter, not because you necessarily need an update from me, um, but because you and your show continue to be a major component of my life, and I have a hope that sharing some of my journey may help others or just help you because I would not be where I am without you. Just so so sweet. Um, oh, and I need to send you a picture of my rooster that is named after you. She has a little farm, and she named her rooster Polly G. So now there's two cocks named Polly G. Ding dong. Somebody get the door. But all of that will have to wait until I have more time and more coffee in me. Oh, maybe she's tired too. So she says, I've been suffering uh, from serious depression symptoms for over three years um, and uh, on and off for her entire life. I'm on Celexa and Wellbutrin, but still having significant issues with rumination, exhaustion, memory, and general life is blah, which sucks because there are so many great things going on in my life right now. I'm also 50. My good friend suggested I see a naturopath and do the saliva tests to test hormone levels and adrenals slash cortisol. I also did a blood test uh, for the Alzheimer genes because it runs in my family. Very long story short, I'm now on low levels of testosterone, testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone. Um, my adrenals were totally fucked up, and on, I'm on some natural remedies for that. Uh, after a week on the hormones, I feel fucking amazing. If you haven't thought about saliva testing, you might want to. It's expensive because insurance doesn't cover it, but with me, it has changed my life. Thank you so much, Amy, and thank you for the continued support. And all of those uh, of you that are our monthly donors or whoever uh, have ever donated uh, to the podcast. This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by, uh, once again, uh, a teenage uh, girl who they just... uh, I tell you, man, they're they're like um, they're like savants with the struggle in a sentence about her depression. Dystymia is like watching your life alone in the back row of a movie the- movie theater, and your soda is flat, and you don't care what happens to the protagonist. Uh, about her anxiety, if the awkward silence does not end, you will explode to fill it. Uh, snapshot from her life. Uh, I'm assigned to vacuum the case in which we display food at the cafe where I work. When I go to do it, a co-worker picks up the vacuum and starts doing my job. There's a screeching sound in my brain like we're metal gears scraping each other and the machine of the universe is all wrong because I'm not doing the task. I'm terrified I will yell or do something crazy because my brain has plunged headfirst into irrational panic. When I reclaim the vacuum, I must get every last crumb to make up for the imbalance and restore harmony to this corner of the universe. Even when I do, I'm still afraid someone will notice my mini meltdown over a co-worker attempting to help. That's so good. Thank you for that. Uh, Ellie is her name. This is filled out by Misery Hates Company, and she's in her 20s. About her anxiety, I feel like I'm always standing in a massive open space in the glare of a thousand spotlights. Every eye is on me, and I am wishing that I could just cease to exist. I am dying from the heat, burning in the light, wishing for nothing but cooling darkness, total silence, and solitude, knowing I will never get it in life. Wow, that is deep. That is deep and so descriptive. Thank you for that. Are you sure you're not a teenager? 
about her struggle with fantasy. I wish I had a different life in a different world. All I want is to be somewhere else. I constantly read novels, watch movies, watch television shows, and play video games. When doing this, I fantasize that I'm a character in these fictional worlds. I'm incapable of focusing on anything else. I know I will never have a real life, so I spend all my time in my own head. I do not feel like a real person. I am less than a ghost. I think there's so many of us that deeply, deeply relate to that. Um, about living with type 1 diabetes, she says, I feel like I'm an I am anchored to my apartment, to the refrigerator where I have to keep my insulin. I worry at all times about my blood sugar levels, which, whether they are too high or too uh, low, control me. Uh, they dictate where I can go, when, how far, whether I can eat or not, whether I can move or sleep or shower. I am locked into a tether, strangled by a leash. I am forever attached to a million-ton boulder. I cannot move. I cannot escape. And about loneliness, she writes, I have constant loneliness. I am always alone. Even when other people are around, I am alone. I always have been. I hate the sounds and scents of people and civilization. Um, that's sense, S-C-E-N-T-S. Uh, I feel lonely, but I cannot stand being around people, any people. All people make me anxious, angry, and sad. I am trapped in my own pathetic, empty life. I wish I could live on Gilligan's Island. Seriously. I don't think there's a one of us that hasn't fantasized about living on Gilligan's Island. Um, I used to fantasize about being in the Brady Bunch. I, it almost hurt to watch the Brady Bunch when I was a kid because it just seemed like, oh my God, that's what I need. Um, and I think Gilligan's Island would be refreshing too because who doesn't want everything made out of coconuts and string? That'd be pretty sweet. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Mo. She's in her 20s. Uh, snapshot from her life. I'm sitting in the kitchen right now, not doing the dishes. I just feel too tired physically to get up and do them, but my chest is tight because my anxiety is kicking in thinking about not getting them done. I just want to go to bed feeling like a failure for not doing stupid dishes, except that I don't really. I already took a three-hour nap today and a three-hour nap yesterday. I slept fine at night, so the nap naps are apathy and depression-driven. You know, I think apathy is, de is depression-driven and, um, and quote-unquote laziness is depression-driven. And um, the day I realized that, you know what, maybe I'm not just... I'm not lazy. Maybe I'm just uninspired and my depression has got me in a, in a headlock, Paul said from his bed. <laughs> and uh, finally, this one is from Serafina. Uh, she's in her 20s. And man, the best ones, I think, are always about OCD. She writes about OCD. If I think about it one more time, maybe it will go away. Oh, God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries. Like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got into therapy. Let's talk about that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. 
I know that. Uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> like. I'm here with Lauren Hennessy, who some of you have heard about from uh, Hemda's episode. Um, you are her fiance. Yes. And um, I suppose the the one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is um, you're a trans man, mm-hmm. and you were born female bodied. Correct. And what? And you still have the uh, a, a female body, but you are um, you're male. Yeah. And talk about the arc of your realizing that you had been into a body that been born into a body that didn't feel um, right to you. Sure. That didn't feel like it was who who you really are inside. Um, yeah, uh, <clears throat> and uh, also for your listeners, I, I'm not passing in any way. I'm not even that um, androgynous, you know. Um, I probably look, if anything, on a, quote, butchy day like a lesbian, you know. Uh, and it, the thing that a lot of people uh, mistake is that sex and gender are the same, you know, um, which which uh, makes sense that we would think that and that's what we're taught and that's the majority you know I think Um, for me I always felt different as a kid growing up and uh, I was always told I had an old soul you know Lauren really has an old soul and like I always thought maybe that's why I felt different or maybe it's because like um, I had to be friends with all gazillion kids at church because my dad was the pastor you know whether I liked him or not or maybe it was because for whatever reason I, I felt um, I was forced to stand in the girls' line at lunch, you know, and for whatever reason felt so embarrassed by that. But uh, when I was around six years old, I always liked girls, like from a young age, always liked girls, um, which has nothing to do really with me being trans, just nothing. my sexual preference uh, um, to want to hump, <laughs> so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, has always been women. And I was a pretty sexual kid. I think some of us are more sexual than others, you know, just by nature. And I was... I was always, since my earliest memories, attracted to women. Um, so one day, my auntie comes over to our house and she's like, just devastated, crying and and going ballistic. You know, she comes in and lots of people come to my dad for counseling, you know, because because he's a minister, but also because he's just, he connects with people. You know, he's good at that stuff. And so... Um, he can what? He connects with people. Oh, connects. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. he can empathize, really, you know, with anyone's situation. You know, he really gets down and dirty with people um, in that way, kind of like you. Uh, uh, so she comes over seeking counseling, and, you know, my mom's kind of like, you know, okay, Lauren, go in your room, you know. Mm-hmm. So I go in there, and I wait for my mom to come in, and she does. And I'm like, who's dying? What's happening? And she's like, well, your cousin Craig, you know, um, your auntie's son is gay. It just told her that he's gay. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, what's gay? And she explains to me what it is and, and why we don't believe that that's right. And, uh, and um, you know, I ask if he's going to hell. And she's like, I hope not, but we can pray for him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I, I guess that is kind of weird, you know. Um, I would never kiss a boy. <laughs> Gross, you know. And uh, so it was 
is that because you were thinking of yourself as a as a boy at that point or you were putting yourself in his shoes and thinking if I were a boy I would never kiss a boy no because I in my shoes would never kiss a boy and you know I knew that my penis was going to grow in eventually because that's what happens and uh, I was ready for that kind of subconsciously you know I wasn't like waiting expectantly I just knew that that's what happens and um had, had, had somebody told you that or that's just that was your fantasy was you would, I just you figured would penis? I just figured because I knew I was a boy and I always felt it and I couldn't um I always felt it there and that's why I knew it would grow in you know and and like I I guess I didn't really have words for it then and it wasn't really a thing for me but now I I can equate it to phantom limb syndrome um where you know someone born without a limb or loses a limb in an accident or battle or or whatever still feels pain, still reaches for things, has you know sensations and and stuff like that, uh, because the synapsis in the brain is there still, kind of you know. Yeah. And uh, so I always had that feeling, so I just knew, it wasn't a question. Um, and, and about a like a year, maybe a year or so later, when I was around seven, I realized that it wasn't growing in, and that I like girls, and oh my god, I'm a girl, and oh fuck, I'm going to hell, you know, kind of thing. Oh my god, what was that like? Oh man, um, isolating and terrifying. And I, I wanted to do, you know, God's will or whatever I thought that was at my young mind, you know, sort of. I wanted to, you know, I felt like I could lose my parents if I kept feeling this way. I immediately started praying to God every day for him to take these feelings away from me. Um, I don't choose to like girls, you know, I... I don't want to. And so, you know, I only felt like a boy because I didn't look like the other boys. Uh, otherwise, I just felt like a kid, I think, probably. But that issue didn't really come to play as much until later because right now I just was focused on not going to hell. So whether I become a nun or force myself. I used to have these fake crushes on guys, you know, that I would, I get, you know, this guy's cool, you know, I, <laughs> he's totally cute. <laughs> I like him so much, you know. <laughs> and that lasted till even after I went to college and I, I put myself, I went, well, am I babbling too much? This Not is just such a rabbit hole. No, this is. Okay. Um, I, you asked me about the trajectory of me being trans, right? Okay. Uh, and we I, don't, and we don't have to, that doesn't have to be the first thing because there are other things in your life that I'm interested too. I'm interested in your emotional life as a kid, as a teen, as an adult. This is just, you, well, this all this informs just, it. So yes. it makes sense that we start with it. Yeah. And, it, and, and, and it's just a part of who you are. It's not the totality of. Right. of a person and I think oh, right. sometimes people outside of somebody they don't understand their issue they think that that is the defining thing about that person you know yeah that's something that I've struggled with lately because since you know quote coming out you know as transgender um, I have talked about it a lot it's been a main topic of conversation and you know I am an actor trying to you know acting as an actress to get roles in the city, you know. And uh and so that Why do you why do you say actress when you identify as as male? 
Because um, people perceive you as that? Well, because most of the roles I'm going for are female roles. I see. Yeah, unless, you know, I did play a, a pre-transitioning, you know, trans Mercutio in an updated Romeo and Juliet type, you know, show recently, which was pretty cool. But, um, and I've played boys before, especially as a kid, but, you know, I do a lot of women's roles and a lot of, you know, feminine roles, if you, you know, or a lot of not feminine roles, too. I play a lot of lesbians, you know. Um, but I don't know how much telling a, a casting person that your male is going to confuse their view of you. You know, they're not the most imaginative people in the world. Admittingly, I think most of them, you know, would say we need a little help, like give us a bone, throw us a bone, let us help see you as something, you know. So mm-hmm. there's the package that I present in my career, and then there's you know, the package or lack thereof that yeah. I present in, which to in me, my everyday life. You know, as you describe that, I think, wow, that's the one genuine time when it's totally healthy to embrace that you are not like this person that you're playing because that's what actors do. Well, yeah, I feel like actors should be models for the writing. Like, a good model, you know, I mean, they they present themselves in a way that they don't upstage the clothing, but they showcase the clothing, you know, no matter what they look like almost, you know, it comes from a different place. Um, and I think a really good actor showcases the story and the writing and yeah. whether I'm playing something that is feminine or masculine or male or female, it doesn't matter. It's really you just wear the writing and it should come off however you present it, no matter what gender or sex you are. Right. You know, it should, you should be able to, uh, you know, I've seen men play women that I forgot that they were men after the first five minutes because they just did it. You know, they didn't put any affectation or anything, you know, mm-hmm. that was unnecessary. So, yeah, but it's, I don't know, you know, so it's, it's interesting. And I, I, a lot of the reason that I've decided not to transition is because of my career. And you mean phys- physically transition? Physically, yeah. Um, transitioning mean- to a, you know, typical male looking, you know, body um, is because I've already kind of built this, yeah. you know, laurenhennessy.com, yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of uh, image. And, and as a, you know, as a chick or an actress or whatever I portray, I, I think I, I, I like that visual of me, you know, but it does feel very outside of myself. Yeah. So, um, what is it the, uh, like the idea of not having breasts and uh, having a vagina turned into a penis? Um, is it, is it that that would be something that you wouldn't want or that you wouldn't want to go through the procedures to achieve that? Um, well, the big reason is, like I said, career and where I already am and having to start all over, you know. Um, although sometimes I do question that because there are way less males in the industry. And I'm like, well, damn. Maybe I should, you know, but these are all things you can ask yourself all kinds of things, you know, maybe I should have a million lives. Um, the procedure, definitely. I don't want to, that's a lot. That's a lot to go through. And, um, 
But there's not a feeling that you would be more free and more who you are inside on the outside if you did that. Oh, there definitely is. And I'm not sure whether that comes from, oh, well, you know, I see myself differently in my head as than I present. Uh, I do think I hate my, I mourn my body many days. I'm trying to find a yin-yang sort of relationship with it so that I don't give myself cancer or something, you know? Mm-hmm. I hate my breasts. They get in the way of my hugs. You know, I'm not, I can't, you know, go to the pool with my shirt off. Like little things like that, you know, uh, which sucks for any chick too, I'm sure, you know. But uh, um, it doesn't represent me correctly. And so therefore I'm not seen. And I think the most basic thing we all want is just to be seen, you know, for who we are. Yeah. So, so it misidentifies me. And so that's, you know, a, a huge thing that presenting as, you know, quote, male would would give me is just being seen you know waiting till my girlfriend and i passed you on the street to look at her ass instead of like shaking your head and saying oh what a shame or i'm gonna take your girl from you or something like that you know even you know like just everyday little stuff that is taken for granted just being referred to by the right pronouns you know um that kind of thing and also feeling more comfortable in my own skin and i always think like if i knew that that was an option when I was growing up as like a preteen or a teen or something, I think I would have done it. I would have, I definitely would have pursued that, mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't really know. When people uh, refer to you with a female pronoun, um, do you, what do you feel or think? I mean, clearly you think to yourself, that's not who I am, but do you, is there an urge to correct them? Are there times when you, let it go or you just understand that well i'm not dressing male so how could they know it's it's how, how do you handle it yeah um you know only is finding out i found out the word transgender about maybe about five years ago and so that has like changed my life a lot and and my relationship with myself and my body and and my expectations of myself and others and and what it means to be trans and, and what should I expect? And I don't know. I really don't know what I'm allowed to ask for. I don't want people to feel, you know, super sensitive or careful around me or like, oh, shit, if we say the wrong thing, you know, Lauren, like so sensitive or whatever. But at the same time, I do think it's important that we recognize that there are men walking around that look like me and there are women walking around that look like you. And we're straight or gay or bi. It doesn't matter. You know, it's just for whatever reason in the womb. Uh, we didn't develop as that sex, you know, and some of us have both sexes and we don't know what the gender is until you tell us, you know? Um, and so why isn't that, I don't know, why isn't that applied to, to all sexes? But, uh, now that we're learning more about it, the conversation is opening up. We're talking about it now and it's huge. So, you know, what was there a feeling of relief when you realized there was a name for your secret, what you felt? such a relief i i was like i'm not the only one there's other guys like me like this isn't a mental disorder you know or you know at first what actually really helped me to think about it as was a a birth defect i have a birth defect i was born looking like a chick you know and i have titties and a vagina you know and i have this phantom penis that i can't get rid of and i can't explain some days i'm really glad it's there and some days it's really annoying um because it's just a reminder of what I'm lacking, you know, or what I'm missing. 
When you this, pardon me if this is too uh, graphic or too personal, but when you masturbate, you, do you picture yourself having a penis and that that's what you're mm. touching? Yeah, always. Even as a kid, just naturally, I, you know, I would masturbate with um, my phantom limb or or with you know what I had there. I just kind of mash it all together, you know, and just sort of Pictured rock it. back and forth. Yeah. But I always pictured it there. I always uh, had it there. Um, I've tried to get rid of it just by concentrating real hard. Uh, tried to get rid of what? Yeah, the phantom feeling there. I see. And, you know, I know not all trans people have this. You know, I've talked to some trans guys that do, and I didn't know. I thought I was the only one with that, too. Um. How did it, what did that feel like when you when you heard that? That must have just been awesome. I actually read it in a book. It, yeah. I, actually, the way I heard about the word was from this book called Becoming a Visible Man by this dude, Jameson Green. And it, it had other trans guys' accounts in it. And one dude was like, had an almost similar experience as me, like almost identical where his buddy taught him how to pee for when his penis grew in. And my buddy taught me how to pee for when my penis grew in, you know? And that was like... I mean, it changed my whole world and understanding of people and myself, everything, you know, it made me feel very affirmed, really relieved. Did that, you cry? That word, that word um, gave me a reason to exist. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, I, I'm sure I cried reading about that stuff. Yeah. Even if not, you know, outwardly, physically, I, I was crying, you know, inside. I don't always produce tears but it doesn't mean i'm not crying yeah you know what i'm saying i just can't imagine what a profound because i i know what it's like to have felt alone with some secret or feeling of brokenness and like particularly when i first walked into a support group and heard people's stories and went oh my god it's not just me you know the way i describe it is like i was a three-legged dog my whole life and i walked into a room full of three-legged dogs yeah that's a great that's a great way of putting it and it's like my soul began to cry in in many ways even if the the tears didn't come out it was a a catharsis like like poison was leech, leeching out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You ha- there's a reason for your existence. There's you're seen for the first time. And you're not a mistake. No. Yeah, and you're not a mistake. There are so many variations of people and so many endless and so many don't outcomes ha- and so many don't have a voice and are shamed yeah. into being beautifully different yeah whether it's internal or external um that's one of the things i hope to accomplish with this podcast is to check uh, mark uh, <laughs> i think it's is for for people to embrace what is unique about them instead of feeling cursed by it but if we never get out of our isolation we never get to experience the the poison leaching out and to feel the the pureness of who we really are and that we are special in a good way and fuck what people who don't understand it say about us but it's so hard it's so hard it is hard which is man one of the things i deal with like you know they're the extremes as far as i'm concerned you know as 
you know, I'm queer by, you know, not by choice. Like, I'm queer by, like, this, you know, this makes me queer, I guess. You know what I mean? And I'm resentful about that a little bit because that's, like, a box I didn't get to put myself in, you know? Um, it's funny because I don't think of you as queer. I think of you as straight. Well, I am you're... straight, but I'm queer by transness, you know? And these are just my own judgments of oh, myself. Oh, I see. Queer by not fitting into a box. Not queer by your choice right, right. and like, who you're attracted to. Right, right. Yeah, okay. exactly. I forget um, that queer can uh, mean just not um, anybody who's not straight. Right, that's true. And you know what? Queer can mean straight, too. I think queer is an umbrella that just encompasses everything, you know? And just admits that we're all, you know, a lot more alike than we realize. But um, I f- totally forgot what I was going to say. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, talking about it's hard to keep hold on to these things. Yeah. Uh, talking about realizing that you weren't um alone in in what you were experiencing, and realizing there was a name for. Oh it. yeah, there. You're never alone. You're never alone. Whatever you're experiencing, there's someone out there. That is experiencing the same thing. That is the most healing thing. And you should seek those people out. Seek out those forums and that information. Because that, I, I mean, if I knew, you know, I mean, the only time I'd seen trans people was on like Jerry Springer, you know, or you know, when I heard the word trans, I thought of like transvestite or you know, cross-dresser or chicks with dicks or whatever, you know, the media images kind of popped up in my head um and i was definitely turned off by it you know and plus i was coming from oh this is what i was saying both sides of the fence i was coming from a kind of a conservative christian upbringing you know i mean laid back and my dad is so open-minded that he's i mean we really are on the same page now you know in a lot of ways but um you know i was brought up in the church and and i i understand uh wanting to do the right thing when it comes to that and i understand wanting to help people and where you know the fear of of your friends and loved ones being queer comes from like i understand where that comes from kind of a certain protection of we don't want you to experience pain and And we want you to live forever and we want to see you after this life and it goes so deep you know and uh it it really stems from a fear of death i think at its root but uh it's like you know we want you to be okay you know and this is not good i understand that and um because i was a part of that and i would say things like that even though i was feeling them myself but being on the other side of that i see how like you would say oh it's too bad that gay person's going to hell is that well, what you i mean? wouldn't say that but i would i would feel bad if my friend if i found out that my friend was gay I see. even though i knew that i liked girls you know but not because of what they were experiencing, but because of what... I didn't want them to go to hell. Yeah. How long... When did that idea leave you? Well, I enrolled... Okay, so I went to Nyack Christian College my first year of college, which is north of the city in Manhattan. You know, north of Manhattan, about 45 an hour. Um, close enough to the city. I could still get in on the weekends, but far enough away. My parents felt okay with it. They accepted me late. Because my other schools I auditioned for didn't, you know, accept me this time around. And where were you raised? Where did your parents live? Hawaii. I was raised in Maui. In Hawaii. Hawaii. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, yep. that's Only a... white kid. <laughs> that's a whole other set of... Wow. Mental... Did you get your ass beat? Mentally. They don't beat on girls the way they do guys for being white? Um, 
no, nah, they were pretty equal opportunity when it came to that. But uh, I think I was a visual representation of every white person that came and raped and pillaged their land, you know? Yeah. You know, and kids are just cruel. So um, I was the different one in a very local school, you know? Many of whom are my friends today, but back then, you know, it was rough, mm. you know? So I didn't, I was very isolated even then. Really didn't have many friends at all for years. Were your parents a part of that tradition of missionaries coming and kind of... No, no. Actually, the the um, the crappy recession of the early 90s, you know, kind of sent them over there. So I grew up there, moved there when I was real young. Okay. Yeah. But I was actually born here in Southern California. Oh. Yeah, Anaheim. So uh, you were going to Nyack. You were coming to New York City. Going to Nyack. Um was also looking forward to working on this issue I have of liking girls. And, and you know, one night was kind of crying in this worship service. I like to go there because it was dark and the music was nice. And a chaplain came up to me and asked me why I was crying, if they were happy tears or sad tears. And I'm like, they're happy tears. You know, nope, they're not. They're sad. And uh, she asked me what was going on. And it was the first time I ever told anyone that I liked women and I couldn't help it. And I didn't know what to do. And I needed help. And she told me that I wasn't alone and that there was a group at that school that met once a week uh, that dealt with these same issues uh, that I could meet with. And so I did. And I went to this group correctional, you know, homosexual correctional ex-gay type therapy thing once a week and went to also, you know, taught by this bull dyke (laughs) woman. And it was me and a bunch of other dudes, you know, which that was cool. Um, and, uh, also one-on-one, you know, ex-gay therapy and, uh, it kind of started to work. I, uh, stopped feeling attracted to anything, you know, after a while. <laughs> so it just shut your sexuality <laughs> down. Basically. Yeah. And then I met my first girlfriend and, uh, lied to them for the remainder of the semester until I oh. was out of there. And I struggled. I was dating this girl. I fell in love with her and I struggled a lot with it. Because I still thought, you know, it was bad, you know, I still, you know, was dealing with these issues of transness that I couldn't identify because I didn't have a word for it, you know, and I had all these, you know, and I think she picked up on it a little bit, even we would have discussions about it, you know, about her kind of feeling like I'm both almost and um, so I, I finally found this gay Christian Bible study in the city started going to that started attending a church started an lgbt group at the church um kind of found a peace with my spirituality and faith and um sexuality and uh then have been letting go of the church sort of ever since i'm looking more at the cosmos (laughs) i'm a hippie (laughs) and uh yeah people and energy and stuff like that stuff that i think people call god sometimes talk about your relationship um with hamda and how that how that came about i know she shared it but um on her, on her episode What has been, because you're more committed to her than you've been in any other relationship in, in that you are engaged, 
um, societally, in terms of society's mm-hmm. view of you, you're more committed to her than you have been before. Um, talk about what it's like being um, queer and wanting to be married and all the hurdles of seeing how it's portrayed in the media and people that are against it and her family having a problem with that. Oh, I know that's a lot. I know that's a lot of questions, but um, cool. All right. Okay. Also, before I say that, just because I know I'm going to forget this, I just want to say one thing. Um, another reason I'm not transitioning, I think it also is this has become kind of a side, a side reason or a side bonus, maybe more so, which I also resent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um. I think it is important for people to see trans people and recognize them as who they are and what they are, um, even if they don't match their bodies. I don't think we should have to physically transition in order to be seen by other people or for other people, you know? And I know that's not always the reason why. I wonder if that plays into it more than we know. But, you know... Who knows? Who knows? Until society changes, which it is slowly yeah. no, but surely. I'm, I'm glad you said that because it's it's what's inside that person more than how they're perceived. Yeah, it's crazy how much. Oh, and pronouns again. Going back to your question about pronouns, what you said earlier, I have realized that pronouns are more based on visual than actual. And so when people refer to me with female pronouns, you know, depending on the day, sometimes I I feel hurt by it because they know better. Sometimes I feel because it's people you know, yeah, and okay. they know me, and that you know. Uh, sometimes I feel like it's done on purpose, but I have to let it go. Sometimes, like people actively choosing not to acknowledge it. Sometimes I, uh, I correct them. Sometimes I don't. I, you know, I never know when to because I know what I look like. I don't make it easy. You know, um, if if it comes out, you know, when people correct themselves, I see it, I hear it, I appreciate it, even if it, I, I don't acknowledge it. Um, and sometimes I don't give a fuck and I know what I look like and I know they know me and they see me, mm-hmm. you know, but who do I tell? What bathroom do I go into? You know, am, am I making a moral case of it or an ethical case of it today? Or do I just like skip the bathroom altogether? Or do I just go in the girl's bathroom because it's easier, you know, or do I want to even have the fucking conversation? Talk is it ab- important you talk, know talk about the the bathroom thing you got to go to the bathroom you're in a restaurant let's say you're with a table of people that know you're a trans man what goes through your mind is you're like i gotta go to the bathroom oh yeah it's like okay so i'm walking toward the stalls right and there's the little figure with the dress and then there's a little figure without the dress you know um and it's like okay Exactly. It's just that moment before. It's that question of, am I willing to put up the uncomfortability with conceding to ease by going in the female restroom when I actually have a one-person show that I've, I'm developing and, and showing you know, and, and working on that talks all about me wanting to be seen as, as seen, period, sort of, you know, and kind of what that deals with, the funny stuff about it. Um and they all just saw it, let's say. What do I do? You know, I had that moment after one of my shows. And it's like, you know, a lot of times I just hold it. Because I don't want to even deal with it right now, you know. But I've learned, you know, I have been going in the male restroom more. 
even if my friends aren't around that know that or Hamda's not around or whoever, just because I'm like, oh, you know, it'll make me feel better right now. You know, so I just walk in. For the most part, dudes are not looking at each other in the bathroom anyway, you know. Just walk in and go. Come out, and if anyone looks at me funny, I just say, I had to, trust me. And that's the end of that. And that's the truth. And I think it's probably a different vibe than a male going into a female, um, a person who looks outwardly male going into a female thing because I think most women would assume there was a perfect quality to this guy doing it whereas I think if you see an outwardly female person in a male bathroom you would probably think she just had to use the bathroom really badly exactly which kind of sucks you know that kind of sucks I mean I think that's what gender neutral bathrooms kind of get rid of that bullshit you know <laughs> which I understand they a lot of colleges uh, have have those Mm -hmm, i think it's great which shocked the shit out of me when i was when i heard it because i was like i was so sexually wound up in college i don't think i could have handled showering and knowing there was a girl showering next to me you know or you know stepping Mm -hmm. out of the shower and there's a girl in a towel right there it's well, I think it's I think it's great, but it and this is my this no, is my issue. This is me bringing my sexual frustration. I'm with you, man. I was in those locker rooms my whole life, right? I was fucking like, oh god, like don't look up, you know? Yeah, totally. Don't look, don't look, don't look. You know, fuck, I have a boner. Oh yeah, no one can see it. Like, you yeah, know? yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, it, for me, it's uncomfortable. Well, for me, it wouldn't have been that I wanted to be seen. It would have been I would have been so yeah, I would have been aroused, but I would have I would have felt dirty. I would have felt uh, I would have felt like um, like I hated myself for feeling that way, but I wanted more of it. Oh my god, yes! I would have wanted to live in there and just watch girls come in. And and out, and I'm sure at a certain point it would have been like, ugh. Uh, well, that's the thing. I think it would be so weird. Everyone would just focus on their own shit and get in and out. That's just how yeah. it would be. And I'm sure co-ed bathrooms, if they're co-ed showers, um, are probably blocked enough to where you can have that privacy and dress and undress without anyone seeing you. You know, they yeah. have to be built that way. Um, and I think they should be built that way, whether they're co-ed or not, you know. Some people are just more private than others, and some don't give a fuck, you know? It's like, it's just my body, man, but yeah. whatever. I mean, I I think that guys feel sexually charged around other guys sometimes in locker rooms, too, even if they're not gay. It's just, you know, we're all naked, and we're together, and there's energy, and we're animals, you know, and we can, like, avoid it as much as we want, but fuck, dude, like, dudes are sexual with each other, you know? And they call it sports, and that's cool. <laughs> you know, and chicks are too, and they call it being a chick, and that's cool. You know, it's just the the ways we allow ourselves intimacy. You know, I can be intimate with this dude if I bring up this sports game, then we can have something to talk about, and then we can bond as men, mm-hmm. right? Whereas chicks are more like, oh, you want to just like snuggle and watch a movie? You know, it's just more accepted. It's easier, you know? Who are, Whose company... Not always. Are, are, I guess I'm generalizing, but you know, in a lot of instances. Yeah, I mean, those are kind of broad strokes, but I, I I get what you're saying. Yeah. Whose whose company 
are you more comfortable around a group of guys or a group of girls or kind of evenly because they both have their own energy and you enjoy both of them? Mm, well, I mean, I do have the female experience, you know, and uh, I, uh, but I do have like a male brain, you know, if you want to. So it's an interesting, I, I see people a lot more than I want to sometimes, I think. What do you mean? Like people's tactics and choices, decisions, why they do what they do, which is part of what makes me a really good actor, I think. And that's not coming from ego. I'm just a storyteller. And I think it's just a natural ability that some people have and some people learn. And I've been able to have both of those experiences with it, you know. And I, I think it helps me a lot, you know, because I'm able to empathize with different people's situations and kind of put on their... <sighs> Because I see why they're doing what they're doing, or I, I get it, you know, I get it. Can you be more specific about uh, when you say their tactics? Sure. I mean, we all have tactics uh, in life to get what we want. You know, right now I'm speaking a certain way to solicit a, a certain idea to get you to feel a certain way about what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So that is my tactic, right? Or maybe you're looking at me a certain way to make me feel comfortable in order to get what you want, right? But that's all we do all the time. So my brain sees those too clearly like a nerd you sees numbers sometimes too much and puts like you know algorithms together in their head mm. all the time like i'm seeing people's tactics all the time and and i try to step away from that a little bit uh and just you know enjoy life or whatever it's like even if i'm watching a show and i hope this isn't coming off as like i don't know weird uh or if i'm watching a show you know i'll pick the show apart and, and maybe it sounds like i'm talking shit about it i'll pick every little thing apart about it you know from the technical to the acting to why they did this and all their choices and what you know or how i thought the writing differed or was the same or wh what they got and it's not even that i mean i love doing that stuff i'm a nerd about it right but i'm a nerd about it and it's like overwhelming hmm. uh but so I, I think I see both sides because I kind of have both experiences. I see. You know, um, and so I'm able to, it's like behind enemy lines, you know what I mean? Um, with women, what I love about women is the intimacy that you can get with them and so quickly and so deeply uh, without it being something that's weird or sexual necessarily, you know? Uh, the depth you can go, um, you know, in topics. I love, you know, how, uh, f you know, uh, of course, all these are going to be broad strokes because we're breaking men and women up into gender classifications, which isn't necessarily correct for everyone, you know. But for the most part, my female friends, I'm able to get more, more, more deep with them, more emotional, you know. And that strokes that sort of... Um, side you know that feels good that feels kind good of and connected mama's, mama's and, love kind and of. soul yeah, yeah soul kind of connecting you know yeah. and uh and it's almost uh, i i like hanging out with guys because it, it, that is done in a different way and sometimes that's just too intense you know and i uh it's like okay you know and with guys it's like we don't have to say it we just know you know we know because we're here and we're talking and 
we're enjoying the specific thing and if it was pointed out it would get weird so let's yeah. just like watch the game and you know talk about this thing and then never talk about that we talked about that again you know kind of yeah. which i also appreciate and enjoy the ball um, busting is one of the things that i enjoy so I love much that about, too. about male company literal ball busting like i will flick your balls if you are my <laughs> male friend and i will make you show me your dick because because <laughs> i want to see it i don't know but yeah no the is ball that, busting is that something that or just messing with each other horsing around absolutely you know i feel that you have to be a little bit more sensitive sometimes with women, you know, uh, what you comment on or what you, and that's a big society molded thing. But, uh, is that a thing? Yeah. No, when I was a kid, I used to make my friend show me the dicks. Um, I just wanted to see him. I don't know. Uh, I used to draw penises a lot too. I don't know. Did you, did you guys do that? <laughs> I just draw penises. They're fun to draw. They're so rounded. I think, I think I did, uh, there was a there was a, a curiosity about seeing um, guys' penises when I was a kid, but I th- I think after having seen a couple of them, I was like, I think I just wanted to know where mine fit, right? Where mine fit in, right? Um, but the true the real obsession was just uh, you know I could have if I could have seen ten vaginas every day, you know I would have been like oh. You know, I've this is heaven. There, I was just endlessly fascinated with, um, with vaginas. I didn't want to touch them. I didn't want it to anything. I was just intense. Right? It was like, you know, whatever the song is, the music is that when the gates of heaven opened, that's what I would see when a girl would pull her pants down as, yeah. a, as a child. It was just, I felt like I was where I was supposed to be in the universe. All right. Nice. Yeah. It, but I felt shame. <laughs> but I felt shame about it because it was, oh, it, was so, it was so addictive. Every time I masturbated, I felt bad. Um, because you were thinking about a, uh, a girl. Would you yeah. objectify? Would it be about their vaginas or would it just be about closeness with them? No and- way, man. Totally. I thought of sexual stuff that I did not know that people actually did from when I was very young. I put together sexual situations that I didn't even know was a thing. Like, I didn't really want to see vaginas. I They kind of freaked me out a little bit. Uh, I mean, penises didn't really freak me out at all. I didn't really care, you know. Vaginas were weird, you know. I did like watching them when I would watch scrambled porn at night, but I had to be in a certain mood, you know. Um, but yeah, because I like girl, I would always feel guilty unless it was a girl that I felt I really loved, like someone that I kind of would have a huge crush on for a while or would choose to kind of just focus my energy toward, you know. Um, I wouldn't feel guilty about masturbating to her. Would it be the thought of just being around her energy, uh, holding her? Oh, no, um, it was like putting my mouth on her nani and like doing things like that. Like even before I knew that was a thing. Okay. Yeah. And it would be like, you know, her holding my pee-pee and, mm-hmm. you know, pulling it or whatever it was. You know, right. I was dreamed with a dick, too, is a thing. Like, I don't yeah. know. Was, oh, I still don't get it. Do... um. I hope this isn't isn't uh, too graphic or personal, but um, have you ever used a strap on? And is there any type of satisfaction in in using that? Um, you know, strap ons to me are uh, a little novel. The strap itself, 
I feel, it, you know, just wrapping something around your, like, ass cheeks. and make, It's just so uncomfortable and so t- pulls me out of it completely. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've... Uh, also, this is since learning the word trans and feeling okay with this now and like, oof, not fighting it so much anymore, you know, um, feeling like, okay, it's more normal than I thought. Uh, this isn't so crazy. You know, I have since, you know, gotten things to where um, I'll wear something that, you know, is called a packer in the community, which is like a type of you know, phallus that you can put in your underwear there just to have that. And, you know, no one can even see it. And it's not, you know, big. It's something there that makes just a physical connection with the physical world. Mm-hmm. You know, from what I already feel. In a sexual situation or just go walking just around? in general. And it's not every day. But it's just a, it's it's a connection. It's a connection to the physical world that I already have there, and it's just like ugh, it's just like okay. There's not so much of an oh yeah feeling as I get every day. You know, you know, every mm-hmm. time I go to adjust, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know, oh yeah, it's not there or whatever it is. You know, it's just like okay, just do it, and move on. Um, and I, I I do you know I do have um a, pro- a medical prosthetic that is designed to be. Th- as close to my phallus as it can be, you know, uh, that I have, that I've, u- that I can use during intercourse. I don't have to, you know, mm-hmm. but again, it's just the connection with the physical world that, you know, uh, Hemda can feel me with or without it and vice versa, you know? Mm. So it's not a necessary thing. It's just it's some, not sometimes but it's nice to mix it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, for me, it's actually more for me because I really like the visual. I'm very visually stimulated. So, you know, I enjoy, you know, it's not as much of a a mental shift over that I have to do, Mm -hmm. you know, in order to make the connection. Uh, So I enjoy seeing, you know, her touch it and put her mouth on it and everything like that. I I love uh, seeing my penis in action. Absolutely. There's something really uh, powerful about seeing the act of uh, penetration. Uh, And seeing what you feel, you know, seeing what you're feeling is is very powerful for me. And for for me, uh, oftentimes uh, masturbating, uh, just like looking, just yeah. like looking, looking at my penis. I've masturbated with a prosthetic as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's another aspect of being a trans man that um, people may not know about, or that you struggle with, or that you've come to terms with? Um, or something outside of being a trans man, just uh, something that you struggle with as a, as a human being? I mean, you know, no dude likes being called a chick <laughs> or a girl, even though I think women are better <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, in what ways? I kind of wish I was a woman, you know, I'd make things easier for me. Um just uh i think they've been given more um more lines, more what, what's the word i'm looking for when you allow something to someone to leeway yeah leeway I, there's a better word for it. i'm just blanking it's very simple too uh they've been given more leeway more allowance more whatever the word i'm looking for is um to um, to be more empathetic 
which I think is huge in human existence yeah. and I, which I think is lacking in a lot of male American expectations and uh, which keeps men from connecting with themselves and others, which I think is really sad. It and is. I think that, you know, I am attracted to people with both energies, masculine and feminine, whether they're women or men. And most of my friends are very, most of my male friends are very feminine, you know, and I put all of these terms in quotes. Um, and I mean, f things that are attributed, you know, attributed to feminine traits, you know, empathy, or being emotional, or, you know, allowing themselves to feel a certain way in public and express it. Um, being nurturing, nurturing, and same with the women in my life, you know, allowing themselves to be more masculine or more controlling or commanding or um, tomboyish or whatever it is, you know. Um, I think it's important to have a good balance, you know. It makes you more of a man, more of a woman. Uh, I I agree. There there are. Um my group of male friends, my group of female friends, they both feed me profoundly in different ways. And I I waited 40 years to feed from, the, the, be fed from the female things and to give to them as well. Um, but I've always enjoyed the company of men. It just feels so natural to me. You know, sitting around the locker room after a game and talking about the game and busting each other's balls. And um, there's just something so relaxing uh, uh, about it. Um, and also empowering because I feel the masculinity in me coming out and being seen. And because I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of, of fear being male that we're not male enough oh yeah and so when it happens oh, in a yeah. <laughs> i'm sure you don't relate to that at all <laughs> when we feel very male there's something about it that just feels right it must well be that that's the nature that is what makes males and females different that why that's why there are transgender people that's why you know gender there is a difference i do think that there's that animal Sorry, not to cut you off. No, there's didn't. that animal instinct, that thing, you know, and that's what stereotypes I think are based out of. I think they get balloon and cartoonized, and you know, I think, but they're, you know, when you bring them back to their very core, I think it's very, you know, natural. And I have that too, you know. Yeah. And I'll notice a group of men be aware of me at first, and then sort of just forget about it, you know, after a while, which I appreciate and like, and and you know, that's something for me. Fuck, man, when I'm acknowledged by men, you know, by other men, it is so important and it feeds me too, you know, and that energy and, and being able to be seen by them, you know, and, and accepted into the pack by them is so important to me. And that's one of the hardest things about it because, you know, there's a lot of stigma around me because it's like, oh, you know, yeah, you know, it's because of what I look like, you know, and. 
And uh, I may bring down your masculinity if you were, you know, refer to me as one of you sort of thing. Like, and I get that because I'm one of you. I get it, right? Which is why I so badly want to be included too and incorporated. And it feels so childish. It feels like such a young feeling to me, like just wanting to fit in, you know. But but that is a very nature, you know, wow. oriented. And that is what I get from men as well, you know. And I think that that's sort of what I was saying about the not even having to say anything, just connecting and just knowing and having that yeah sometimes it's just by their relaxing around you they don't even have to say anything it's just like ah. the way they uh look at you the the it is an affirmation that you cannot get from anywhere else if you are a man yeah the, the walls are down yeah you know the, there's no filter and, and when i experience that around women you know it's equally as awesome, and I feel like I must be a, a a gentle soul that they are able to let me be a part of this conversation that they're having, you know, even if it's just a one-on-one that they trust me enough to, to open up or they see... Uh, I guess for lack of a better word, my feminine side... And it and it feels right. All like these are in quotes. I get it. Yeah, it feels because I do have a. I I feel like I have a really big feminine side, and it. You are a well-rounded man, oh, and that makes you a better man, more I, of a man. That I, makes you more of a man. I, I I do feel like that. Um, and when that part is seen by women, it um, God, it just feels so awesome. And I was sharing with this somebody the other day that especially when I'm around women who experienced incest, um, mm, because mm-hmm. that is its own club that um, – and I feel close to men who have experienced it as well, but with the women, I get the nurturing mm-hmm, from them. Mm-hmm. So it touches me on a level that is so deep. It is so – deep it just goes to my very very core and it and it feels like the hug that i should have got from my mom totally wow well that you're aware of that you know i think that's a lot of what we attribute to feminine qualities is the awareness about things about ourselves. you know what we need emotionally yeah and being able to ask for that and to accept it and I don't think that's feminine. I think that takes a lot of courage and strength, you know, to be able to do that, to be able to relax even. But I think we have similar things that we get from men and women mm-hmm. that yeah. are important to us in similar ways. Talk about, unless there's something from the the past, well, let's talk about um, things outside of your gender that you... Um, being a trans man that, that that you've struggled with is there sure. mental illness in your in your family addiction um any snapshots from your life that were informative and trend, you know a lot of my mental illness you know a lot of my jealousy and my possessiveness issues i think have to do with not being seen mm-hmm. and feeling inadequate and feeling emasculated and um, you know, my brothers, you know, were 
running away a lot too. And so that, yeah, that kind of ties in with uh, fear of loss. And so you have this, you know, inadequacy complex mm-hmm. uh, that where I tend to um, explode, you know, sometimes for stupid reasons. Um, if someone is, I think someone is hitting on Hamda or something like that, you know, I'll feel a spray in my head and it's like, it, I, I, it's like it blacks me out and I, it's the Hulk, you know, just comes out yeah. and I, and it's not even that I think she's going to do anything. I just feel as though I'm not being seen. It's almost coming from that, you know, it almost all comes from that. So I don't know. I don't know. You know, it definitely overshadows a lot of mental stuff as for addiction i've been pretty lucky in that area i haven't even gotten addicted to cigarettes um i smoke weed on a Mm. daily basis maybe i'm addicted to that but it it helps me helps give me perspective it helps with those you know that spray that i was talking Mm -hmm. about so does therapy and these are things i'm actively working on that the marijuana is a big part of so I, you did ask me one thing earlier mm-hmm. about Hemda and how that whole thing being trans and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is how I found out I was trans quickly. I'll try to make it quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, the word transgender, rather. Um, it was one of the first times we were together sexually. Uh, we had been together a few times before that. And afterwards, she she just, I could tell she had something on her mind. And she looked at me and she's like, I got to tell you, you know, when I'm with you, I feel like I'm with a guy. Like... It's weird. Like, I feel you're, like, you know, and I've been with chicks before, you know, kind of as whatever, and it's felt queer, but... She said that. Mm Mm-hmm. And I started crying, and she's like, God damn it. I don't know why I would say that. I'm sorry. And I was like, no, 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 no. You see me. You feel me, you know? Wow. And it was our mutual friend, Emmy, that's like, duh, Lauren, you're a dude, and gives me this book, and she's like, read this. I already know that. And, you know, uh, where I found that word out. But, um... So Hemnet played a big role. Wow. In helping me find that. Uh well thank you so much. I, I, I really um feel privileged to to um hear your story and especially uh how you've articulated it with such um vulnerability and um I just love when I when I get to hear an experience that I haven't heard before, and I know everybody's experiences have a quality of uniqueness to them. But um, uh, and we've had uh, other trans guests on, but everybody's story's different, and so I'm always I'm always touched by um, people's willingness to to open up and um, talk about stuff that a lot of people wouldn't talk about because they're afraid of being judged. And uh, that's just awesome. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. That's how we heal ourselves, you know, and each other. Yeah. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. I've always been a fan of yours, so uh, this is a you. privilege for me. My pleasure. And look, we made it. Woo. 6% battery. All right. Many, many thanks to uh, Lauren. If you want to check out his website, uh, go to laurenhennessy.com. I'll put a link up on our website, but um, Lauren's name is spelled L-A-U-R-E-N-H-E-N-N-E. S-S-E-Y. And uh, I think he said he was going to be doing a uh, one-person show coming up. And we recorded that, I think we recorded that about two months ago, that that episode. 
Um, want to remind you guys about the uh, the mid-roll survey uh, for our show. The mid-roll is who books the ads for uh, for our show, and they try to pair up sponsors that would be appropriate for this show. But to do that, they need to know about you guys, the listeners. So um, if you would go and complete a short anonymous survey, it takes no more than five minutes. And uh, if you complete the survey, you'll be entered into an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. And they will not share or sell your email with anybody. And they won't sell, send you uh, an email unless you win the uh, the monthly raffle. So go to uh, podsurvey, that's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-A-Y dot com slash mental pod. That's podsurvey.com slash mental pod. And uh, you're not only... Uh, helping them but uh you're you're helping the show i think that's pretty obvious jesus paul i'm sorry i'm a little sleep deprived before we read uh some surveys and um and at some point i tell you to go fuck yourself because you know that's got to be in there i'm actually getting a little tired of the go fuck yourself thing um want to remind you there's a couple of different ways to support the show if you feel so inclined you can support us financially by going to the website mentalpod.com uh, Mental Pod is also the Twitter name you can you can follow me at. Uh, go to the website and you can make a one-time PayPal donation or my favorite, a recurring monthly donation uh, for as little as five bucks a month, and that helps keep us um, going. And I greatly greatly appreciate it. Um, you can support us by shopping at Amazon through our search portal. It's on our homepage, right hand side, about halfway down. And um, buying a T-shirt or a coffee mug or other stuff we uh, have uh, links to on our site and um you can you can support the show by spreading the word through social media i've noticed that we have a growing presence on reddit and um a kind kind uh listener uh, named alexis has been posting some youtube um clips from the show she's taking excerpts from the show and posting them there um so if you want to follow mental pod on youtube um, you can see some of those too. Yeah, I saw that the uh, she posted the full Maria Bamford episode there on YouTube. And mind you, there's no visual to it other than the logo of the show. Um, but 50,000 people have uh, have watched that uh, or listened to that YouTube uh, video, audio, whatever you want to call it so far. So um, thank you for that, Alexis. It was a great, great idea. And I appreciate all the work she does in doing that. Um, I also want to give some love to Mo, who helps keep the forum running. And um, there's so many of you guys that just pitch in uh, here and there. At um, all right, now I'm gonna, now I'm gonna I'm gonna start to get maudlin, and I'm gonna bring Frank Sinatra out, and we're gonna sing a fucking church hymn. I can't, I don't know if I can explain to you how hard my brain is trying to function right now. The surveys. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy named Doc. He is straight, in his 50s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, um, was sexually abused and never reported it. A uh, Boy Scout leader talked me into allowing him to perform oral sex on me. This happened about six times. I allowed it to continue and did not know how to stop it. I felt powerless and weak. I did not want this and still feel weak for letting it happen. My parents divorced and we moved, so I escaped the situation before it got worse. Um, by the way, children don't allow it to happen. Adults use their power to manipulate the child 
into freezing. Um, it, it's there was nothing. There, none of it is on you. Even if you wanted it, it would not be on you. And I know I say this over and over again to people, but it bears repeating because it's, su- it's such a deep scar. So, um, have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Been emotionally abused. Grew up with a father who ridiculed me. I was rejected. And by the way, I, th- I think, and I think a lot of um, other people would agree, that when you grow up with a, with a parent who demeans and withers away your self-esteem any child that grew up in the in the environment you are about to describe because i've read this already it is incapable of standing up to a predator incapable of it um anyway uh grew up with a father who ridiculed me i i want just so right now i just want to apologize for a thousand different things because my brain is just screaming at me that I'm I'm fucking up, I'm stumbling over words, I'm commenting too much, and it makes it better if I can just say that out loud. It's, it's like you guys are the friend on the phone that I pick up the phone and say I'm having a I'm having a rough day. Here's what's going on. You're like my support group when I'm doing when I'm doing the podcast. It's so nice to be able to say, God, I'm. I'm feeling really insecure right now. Anyway, grew up with a father who ridiculed me. I was rejected and made fun of. My siblings were treated better, but not perfect. They feel guilty now as they would put me down with my dad. Um, my mother would feel sorry for me and say she could not do anything. Relatives would say it's too bad because you are a good kid. At Thanksgiving, during my parents' divorce, my dad refused to take me to Thanksgiving dinner as I had no decent clothes to wear took my siblings and did not bring me anything home to eat. I was devastated. The sexual abuse started right after this. Forty years later, I asked my dad about this, and he says he can't remember. Uh, I have poor self-esteem and have looked for attention, first by being a troublemaker and dropped out of high school. Later, I got my GED and went to college. I became a doctor to get the positive strokes I need. I have multiple advanced degrees, and my patients love me, but I still feel like I don't deserve it. I overcompensate so everyone finds me valuable for what I do, not who I am. I am in an emotionally abusive marriage and allow my wife to put me down. I do not stand up for myself and allow others to take advantage of me. I'm struck by so many things as I read this, Doc. First of all, at how awesome it was that you you were this, you know, drop, high school dropout, and then you went and got your fucking D, GED and went to college and became a doctor which is so awesome. So clearly you can fight for yourself. You have it in you. But there are these other areas, I think, related to, to the abuse that you're having trouble feeling that you're worth it to stand up for yourself. Um, you got it in you, man. You have it in you to, to fight more for yourself, to stand up to your wife. I highly recommend a um, childhood sexual abuse survivor support group. There's a gazillion of them out there. Um, maybe contact the Rape and Incest National National Network and because um, they're everywhere. Uh, any positive experiences with the abusers? Positive attention, even with the abuse, was better than negative attention. Darkest thoughts? I still feel there is something wrong with me and nobody should love me because of it. And by the way, buddy, that's textbook for people that were abused. Darkest secrets? I have not fought to protect my kids from an abusive mom. Um, 
Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I think of being abused by females and humiliated. It excites me and upsets me greatly. I feel stupid and ashamed with it. Very embarrassed. Well, welcome welcome to the the other room that the rest of us have been in, waiting for you to, uh, to open up and share. Um, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Not sure. What, if anything, do you wish for to be strong and stand up for me and my kids? Well, dude, you know, it sounds like you've, you've got, you know where the goal is that you need to head towards. It's just a matter of how do I get there? And so I highly recommend if you're not in therapy, um, going to see a therapist, especially one who specializes in, in sexual trauma. But dude, you went and got your GED and became a fucking doctor. You can, you can do this. You can do this. And you know what? Even people that... Uh, Anybody can can do this. You, it just takes fighting through that part of your brain that tells you, I'm not worth it, or it's going to be a waste of time. This is uh, from my first day in therapy uh, survey, filled out by a woman who is uh, between 18 and 25. What brought her to therapy? I was tired of feeling shitty all the time. Self-harm, depression, and anxiety are exhausting, and I wanted to have a place to be open about it. Any fears associated with starting it? I was worried that I would find out that I don't actually have any issues and I was just being ridiculous. Uh, did any of your fears come true? I still have doubts sometimes, but it's my paranoia, not anything my par- therapist has said. What's worked best for you in therapy? I just like having a place that I can feel comfortable in. It took a while, but I finally don't feel anxious when I go anymore. What were your initial impressions of your therapist? Uh, I could tell we were getting to be a good fit because in the first session I opened up a lot, including speaking about my self-harming tendencies. Sometimes there is poor word choice that because of my anxiety makes me nervous, but that's just me. Um, Do you feel you can be completely honest with your therapist? Not yet. He knows more about me than most people do, but I get nervous about judgment and being a disappointment, which is completely unfounded since he has never given me any reason to think that way. Uh, Anything you'd like to share with a group of new therapists? Patience is key. I still have trouble starting conversations after two months of therapy. It's very difficult for some people, especially those who feel like they burden people, to feel comfortable enough to start a conversation. Thank you for sharing that. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Queen Waffle. And she writes, uh, A happy moment. A friend gave me chocolate, knowing, without me saying, that I was anxious and knowing it would help calm me down. It made me feel so happy and safe and protected to know someone was thinking of how I was feeling and extending this small but incredible act of kindness to help me out. That really touched me when I read that because it also reminded me that we so think that, and I bet that person, when they saw the look on your face and saw that you felt, felt, I bet that they a peace came over them and whatever problem they were having with their day, that that intensity lessened. And I try to remind myself sometimes, you know, when I'm trying to get something from the universe in the middle of a shitty day or, or a day where I feel empty, I try to remember that, oh, by extending love or kindness to somebody else, I can get that. So in a, in a way, there's always... That option at our fingertips when we feel like we're just this dry sponge, you know, in the in the middle of the desert, and it's not going to rain for a for a month. Um, this is the shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself DT 
Oh my God. I as well have my head on a pillow. DTJ. He's straight in his 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, I was 12 or 13 on a camping trip with a youth group. There was a girl four or five years older than I in the group. I was very attracted to her. She and two other girls pulled me off into the woods and after some time started groping at me and wanted to view my genitals. I have never been confident in my appearance and was very embarrassed. I was a sheltered child and couldn't deal with the attention I was getting. I refused them and returned to the main group. The three mocked me for the rest of the time I knew them. This partly contributed to my feelings of self-doubt and depression that I have felt for years. Most guys would jump at the chance to have such attention. Often I look back and wonder what would happen if I had accepted them. Probably would have mocked me regardless. Um, by the way, that is sexual abuse. You know, I want to say this to, to men out there who experience stuff like this. The first thing to do is reverse the sexes. And if I were to read that, and it was three 17-year-old guys doing it to a 12-year-old girl. Well, there's no question that that's sexual abuse. So I think that answers your question. Um, have you ever been physically or emotionally abused? Uh, never been physically, but he has been emotionally. I was bullied a fair bit growing up from grades 2 to 11. I have been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder recently on top of having several learning disabilities. I've been dealing with depression since I was 11 or 12. I assumed it was just normal emotional phases of growing up. It eventually culminated into suicidal thoughts and two or three years of sitting around drinking my depression to sleep. I've started seeing a shrink and he has informed me that I am emotionally abusing myself. Since beginning therapy, I've learned that many aspects of my personality um that I assumed were normal, being a jerk to people close to me and always having to be right and win at everything I, I can, were defense mechanisms for dealing with my feelings of inferiority and depression. Looking back on it now, I can see that the people who harassed me growing up were themselves being abused by their families. I wish them the best, even though they are still assholes from what I have seen of them on social media. Um... Darkest thoughts, I am frustrated. Anything I set my mind to do tends to fail even if I put 110% into it. I want to kill myself, but I can't take the idea of hurting my girlfriend and family like that. Darkest secrets, I look at porn all the time and masturbate three times a day. This has not interfered with my sex life that much, and I know it's a coping slash distraction mechanism from my problems. I don't want to give it up, but I can't see how I can continue this way once I have married my girlfriend. I enjoy having sex, but it doesn't take my mind off my problems like masturbation does. Speaking of marriage, I feel like I won't be able to support my girl and that my issues are going to get in the way of our relationship. Um, you know, you said that, that the masturbating three times a day doesn't interfere with your sex life. Well, you know, my thought is, yes, you may have still enough semen to go around, you know, to, to have sex with your girlfriend, but it sounds to me like there is an intimacy in in your life and, and as an extension of an intimacy, true emotional intimacy in your relationship with your girlfriend, especially if you haven't really truly dealt with the stuff that happened to you on that on that camping trip. Um, it's... I. I think talking to, like I said, to somebody else in a, in a previous survey 
go see somebody who specializes in, in trauma because that is trauma, what, what was done to you. That would traumatize any, any child. And you were a child. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I would like to have a threesome, but my girl wouldn't be for it. I don't know that I could have the confidence if I got in that situation. It's not the most over-the-top fantasy, so sharing it isn't that big of a deal. What would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my girlfriend, I'm sorry I talk down to you all the time. I'm sorry I'm such an ass to you all the time. And by the way, that's something that we do, those of us that were traumatized as kids, is we take it out on the people that love us the most. And it breaks my heart when I see myself doing it and I hear other people recognizing that that they do it. So no, you're not alone in that. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I hadn't isolated myself from people as a kid. I had opportunities for friendships, but my lack of confidence forced me to shut them down. I now find it hard to maintain relationships with more than one or two people. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, with my shrink and some of them with my girlfriend. How do you feel after writing this stuff down? Good. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? To my buddies back home that used to get bullied with me, you don't need to have your shields up anymore. Let more people into your lives. Oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Thank you for that, DTJ. Um, this is uh, Shame and Secrets uh, filled out by Ruby. And she is bisexual, in her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused or physically or emotionally. Darkest thoughts, whenever I'm in a room full of a lot of people and I'm sitting quietly, I have intrusive thoughts, which are usually of sexual nature about someone I know or someone who is in the room. Darkest secrets, when I was maybe seven, could have been a little younger, my brother, who was about five at the time, and a friend, a girl who was his age, were over at our house. We all decided we wanted to practice kissing with each other. No other sexual act happened besides kissing. I remember specifically watching my brother and his friend kiss each other, and me and my brother kissed briefly. And then in parentheses, she puts, that is really hard to put into writing. Uh, Because I was the oldest one, thinking back to this incident, I feel extremely guilty and ashamed that I let it happen. When I'm honest with myself, I remember participating because I was truly and innocently curious about what it felt like to kiss. Afterwards, I felt weird about it, and it never happened again. I haven't ever talked about this with my brother. However, we are extremely close, and I feel it did not negatively impact our relationship at all. However, I fear this could have had a negative effect on the young girl who was over at our house that day. I just am so afraid my actions were sexually abusive, and the thought of it having affected her life in any harmful negative way leaves me with such a sense of sadness, shame, and guilt. I also truly don't know if it negatively affected my brother, and no, I should probably talk to him about it someday, but I'm unsure if I'm ready to do that yet. Ultimately, when it happened, I really feel it was an act between three young children who were curious. Nothing was done maliciously. However, since I was the oldest, I feel personally responsible for this event uh, having ever happened. I felt I had forgiven myself in the past. However, it still sits with me that this could have been something that could have damaged someone's life in a terrible way. I'm too ashamed to talk about it with anyone else. Well, I think anybody else listening that just heard me read that just wants to give you a hug and say, you are being way too hard on yourself. That sounds purely like children exploring and being curious. So, um, that's my two cents. And I think Every other person listening to this would would agree. Um, 
Sexual fantasies most powerful to you? A majority of my sexual fantasies involve having sex with women that are actually pretty vanilla in nature, yet they are my strongest fantasies. I feel free and unashamed sharing that. Um, I love when people put that, um, that they're unashamed of their fantasies. You are in, in such the minority. It, it's like you have you have won your own personal little race to get to that across the non-shame finish line, and I just want to high-five you. Um, how do you feel after writing this stuff down? Shocked that I was actually able to write them down and extremely scared. Well, you have nothing to be scared of, but if it's still sitting in there, go talk to somebody about it or, you know, or you talk to your brother about it. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Iron Maiden 571. He is straight in his 20s, raised in a stable and safe environment, um, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, when I was 12, I entered into a relationship with someone 18 or 19. It has taken up until last year to admit to myself it was not an even-sided thing because I'm male and not actively and had not actively resisted. It feels as though somehow my experience does not count, bringing forth a lot of shame and doubt. Um and he, he's never been physically or emotionally abused. Positive experiences with the abusers. My abuser was always kind and loving while in public. I honestly would love to have had him as a friend, but he wanted more. Um, yeah, and that's also, to me, that's a, a... I mean, clearly what he did to you was abusive. There's no question about that. But in case you need any more evidence, the fact that he was kind and, lo- and loving in public which to me shows that he was he was definitely knew what he was doing and putting on a you know an act of, of grooming darkest thoughts none really my loved ones make it so even the darkest idea is not shamed when voiced wow that's beautiful darkest secrets although the time period was a blur i may have molested a friend while the sexual abuse was going on um Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm into rape role play. Luckily, so is my girlfriend of two years. Saying it doesn't affect me as my friends are fairly liberal and it's not a secret. That is awesome. Wow. Two surveys in a row where I can high five people having healthy, healthy uh, expressions. And I don't know what the words are. My brain is like, uh, you know, have you ever had your car where it's starting to run out of gas and you'd be like, oh my God, it's about to clunk out. And then you get like another another 15 yards out of it. And then it starts clunking. That's what my brain feels like right now. What, if anything, you wish for? Peace from anxiety. I can't progress in life with it, causing it to grow. Um, oh, he can't progress with the anxiety. I was like, with peace? You don't want peace growing in your life? Um... How do you feel after writing these things down? Terrible. Dredging up these memories has brought on some anxiety. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that it did that. For a lot of people, it can be cathartic, but I would imagine, you know, there's also that component of remembering that stuff that happened. Sending you a hug, buddy. This is uh, from the first day in therapy survey filled out by a woman who is between 26 and 35. What brought you into therapy? I ended my relationship with my abusive husband of seven years and needed extra support to not go back to the relationship. When I've left him previously, I always found myself going back to him within days, if not hours. Any fears associated with starting therapy? Feeling judged if I shared my thoughts and feelings. Did any of that come true? No, my therapist has been supportive. 
What's worked best for you in therapy? Having a safe place to talk and to be completely honest where I can learn more about myself without being judged. Initial impressions of your therapist. He's nice. He's safe. I don't like that he sits closest to the door. Took me forever to bring that issue up in therapy. By the way, I want to highly, I'm glad you mentioned that. I want to highly, highly recommend anything that ever comes up in therapy, in your mind, having to do with your therapist, unless, you know, you're thinking, oh my God, they're so fucking hideous. How do they live with themselves? But if it's like, oh, I feel like he's being pushy or, you know, the, that's passive aggressive, how he's, you know, doing that, that, that stuff can be a gold mine to bring up in therapy. Um, so don't ever shy away from it. Don't ever shy away from it. Um, and I will ex- express it often as, I feel weird sharing this because I don't want it to sound mean, but my brain is telling me that you don't really care about me, that you're just listening because I'm paying you. And after I walk out the door, you're rolling your fucking eyes and thanking God that you don't have to see me for another week. You know, that's the kind of stuff that it's important to share. Or I feel like that thing that you said to me, you know, 15 minutes ago, it, it felt kind of condescending. That's talk about your feelings, man. Talk about them, talk about them, talk about them. Do you feel you can be completely honest with your therapist? Yes, on some level, I do feel like that. However, it changes with whatever uh, alter is out. Oh, okay, this person has a dissociative identity disorder, um, and they mean alter personality. Uh, It changes with whatever alter is out. Some alters are more private and don't like me sharing. Uh, anything you'd like to share with a new group of therapists? Ask clients more questions about disassociation or screen them earlier on in therapy. Within my first three months of therapy, I was diagnosed with PTSD, which made sense. Then two years later, my therapist told me I have DID, which is dissociative identity disorder. Uh, it, I get it takes a long time to see the symptoms of DID. However, I feel like if my therapist had asked more questions earlier on, the DID might have come out. That's I have no idea how to I have no two cents on that one because I'm not a I'm not a therapist, but again, I am a jackass that cooked scrambled eggs on basic cable. There's something to be said for that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Rasputin the Saint. I just as soon as I saw that name, I was like, this one's this one's gonna have some shit in it. This guy's smart and he's ironic. And he's dark, so you know. Uh, He is straight. He is in his 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, Um, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. When I was around five, my aunt would involve me in her molestation of my nine-year-old sister, either by making me watch as they had, quote, sex, or by telling uh, what to do and making me do it to them. That just breaks my fucking heart. Ever been physically or emotionally abused? He has been both. My father is a sarcastic, belittling ass of a human being. Uh, and that is difficult to fit on a, on a driver's license. But it's right there underneath his name. Sarcastic, belittling ass of a human being. You can hear Herbert panting in the back. Uh, he was never there to say anything helpful. He would also smack me around as a child. Any positive experiences with abusers? Yes, he is my father and I'm supposed to love him. Well, you know, my thought when I read that is that's not a positive experience. That sounds like you just beating yourself up for having a normal reaction to an asshole. Um, 
And I, I hate that phrase. I hate the idea of I'm supposed to love this person. No, you, you know, you either feel love or you don't. There's no right or wrong with feelings. And anybody who is beating themselves up because they don't feel love towards somebody, stop. Stop it. It is what it is. Um, darkest thoughts. Elaborate planning of uh, abducting and sexually using teenage girls and young women. Uh, darkest secrets. As a teen, I would sneak around and try to look in the windows of girls I went to school with. Um, fantasy is most powerful to you. Bondage and domination. Tying up and having my way with women. Uh, anything you'd like to say to, with someone you haven't been able to, I still hurt because of the things you've done. What if anything do you wish for? I wish to be happy and healthy with my wife for as long as possible. Have you shared these things with others? Some things I've shared with my wife. She is mostly accepting because she is a bit fucked up herself. There is still so much I've hidden from everyone for fear of rejection and judgment. How do you feel after writing this down? It's nice to share. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I'm not sure anyone else shares all this fucked upness. Um, I think you'd be surprised. I think you'd be surprised, and I encourage you, like the other two I mentioned, to get into a um, support group for victim being a, a victim of childhood um, sexual abuse. And a lot of the stuff that you that is bouncing around in your head, and the stuff you did, like people peeping, you know, uh, that stuff is very common for um, people who were sexually taken advantage of as as children. So. Heal, heal that trauma, man. Heal that trauma. You're worth it. This is... You know, I don't want to read another one of these. I feel like I'm... <laughs> what would the verb be? Molested out? It is... Um... This is... There's two left. Two happy moments left. This one is filled out by a woman who calls herself Sunflower. And right now my head is just spinning going, oh, Paul, you you should have just played the interview and that was it because your energy was terrible. The surveys were too dark. There's too much about molestation in there. And you're fucking, you're just a downer. You are just a downer. Um, anyway, Sunflower writes about her happy moment. Uh, I have really terrible social anxiety and have a borderline inability to communicate with anyone I'm attracted to or admire. That moment when I had first been working hard, pulling myself, putting myself out there, and a friend of a friend told me how much she admired me for being smart and articulate was one I'll never forget. I went from the mousy, shy girl in high school to someone who can speak out her opinions and still crack a few dumb jokes to make people laugh and that's so freaking cool, I still can't get over it. I love that. I just love the idea of of somebody making the effort saying, you know what, maybe, I, maybe I'm not doomed to be this person standing in the corner afraid of people the rest of my life. And lo and behold, it happens. Herbert, what are we doing over there? And this last one is from Summer Girl. And she writes, I was taking an evening bicycle ride, something I like to do as often as I can. I love leaving the house when it's still light out, but it's turned. Herbert does not care for Summer Girl. 
I love leaving the house when it's still light out, but it's turning to dusk. Uh, the smells and sights are calming to me. I was pumping hard and working up a sweat all the time listening to a mental illness happy hour episode when I noticed a small field of cut grass near a park. What got my attention was the lightning bugs. Every summer I wait for them to come out and I can watch them for hours. That evening they kept flashing over the grass from all directions and the effect was so beautifully relaxing. I pulled over and just stared for a while. It reminds me that there are places in the world where things are whole and can be depended upon. What a comforting feeling that was to me. Thank you. That's beautiful. I love when you guys paint a picture that's just so soothing and at one with the universe. It's um, it's beautiful. Well, I'm going to pull my parachute on this fucking... on this three-wheeled demolition derby I just put together. Um... And I want to thank Lauren again for such a great, uh, such a great interview. It's really nice getting to know him. And um, I was wondering what he was like because you know I'd only heard about him through Hemda, Hemda, and uh, it it was uh, he did not disappoint. And um, I'm gonna go get some fucking sleep. And if you're out there and you're stuck, just know that there's help if you're willing to get out of your comfort zone. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you're feeling. No matter where you feel you're stuck, it is possible. I would be dead if I hadn't asked for help. And um, just know that you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.